Welcome to the Ad Astra podcast. Today we have with us Dr. Philip Notaft of the All Soul College of the University of Oxford. Welcome. Welcome. Hi. Um, Dr. Notaft is um, a researcher on many topics, uh, both of which are history of um, science, the history of astronomy and astrology, and also the studies on time, chronology, calendars in the medieval period and early modern periods. Um, well, welcome to the, to the podcast. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So um, tell us a little bit about uh, your, your research into, into these topics, please. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm, I'm not really, I don't get to call myself an historian of astrology. Strictly speaking, for most of my career, I've either worked on topics relating to historical chronology, so calendar systems of dating and the history of the study of these subjects. And then on the, on the other hand, more recently, I've been more involved in working on mathematical astronomy. Now, both of these topics have obvious pathways towards astrology. You know, with astronomy, astrology is always lurking around the corner, especially if you work on pre and early modern uh, periods and contexts, uh, and even with historical chronology, you have plenty of opportunities to look at the sort of research that's been carried out by historians of astrology, which is, of course, a growing field, a very exciting field, very productive, very difficult to keep up with all the new publications coming out. Uh, but for most of my sort of own career as a researcher, I've been more looking at this from the outside uh, as, as a sort of um, observer and admirer of the kind of work that people like you uh, are putting out. But more recently, I've had a chance to study late medieval writings which take you know anti-astrological positions and criticize astrology from for various reasons and, and from different vantage points and it just occurred to me that this is actually a worthy subject of study in the sense that there's an anti-astrological current running through pre and early modern European history which is I think an important part not just of the history of astrology but also intellectual history more generally and should be you know maybe hasn't received the attention it deserves and so I, I am just wondering if I could add a few uh, data points to what we yeah. know about anti-astrological thought. Yeah no yes, that's course, wonderful yes yes indeed I think there, there's um, um, as we were uh, talking early in our pre-recording <laughs> conversation, um, I think it, it, this critique and this wave of critique, as you were saying, it's a, a current that goes through to the Middle Ages and probably earlier, and goes into it, it shapes also the practice of astrology. So it's, I think, it's quite important to really have a, a good knowledge of what exactly, who's criticizing, where, the, what is the standpoint of these critiques, and how it affects the practice. So, so I do think it's a very worth worthy topic of properly exploring and properly doing a history of the critiques of astrology, which I think it's still lacking. We have some works, but it's still a bit scattered, I think. Yes, that's right. And of course, it's worth pointing out that there's a sense in which the history of anti-astrological thought is almost as old as the history of astrology. Of course, the astrological ideas which you can trace back much, much further. But when you think of astrology as the Hellenistic system, right, which is really the mainstream of, of Western astrology, well, that came to be, came about in the second, first century BC, and our earliest evidence for anti-astrological arguments comes precisely from that period, right? Thinking of 
Carneades and Cicero, and some, of the, some, some of the first attested skeptics of astrology who come up with some of the arguments uh, that, that, are, could, that are repeated over and over again as the centuries go by. And of course, their arguments are, are, are picked up and amplified by the church fathers who add their own more theologically inflected arguments. And that becomes part of the heritage of the way uh, Latin Christian Europeans think about astrology for, for many centuries, well into the early modern period. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it's true. yes, specifically in um, in Christianity, what we now call roughly Europe, mm-hmm. uh, the the religious factor had immense importance, mm-hmm. which doesn't exist in several other uh, factors. It doesn't exist in, in, for example, cultures such as the Indian culture, which has also a rich historical tradition. I'm sure the, the astrology would have its critics in this environment, but, but different. <laughs> it's a completely different set, so allows things to develop differently and to be discussed in a different tone. Yeah. Yes, and what we have to bear in mind is that there's a period of about 600 years from the 6th to the 11th century when Orthodox Roman Christianity was pretty successful in pushing astrology to the margins, especially, again, if you think of the Hellenistic system, there is very little evidence of astrology being practiced in this mode, and you'd be hard-pressed to find any Latin Christian author from this early medieval period who professes any belief in, in, in any astrological notions. This is a very marginal uh, uh, pursuit in this period. You know, we have some evidence of prognostications, mm-hmm. divination, some of which some of which is astral in nature, but astrology in a robust sense is almost <clears throat> right on the surface for about 600 years. And it's only the 12th century that for the first time since antiquity, we have Latin authors who openly profess a belief in astrology or out themselves as practicing astrologers. So you have a completely new departure to a large extent in the 12th century, owing to you know big knowledge transfer from the Islamic world. And, and, and that sets the stage for this boom period in the in the 14th mostly in the 15th and 16th century when astrology is hugely present and culturally impactful in Europe but again it's important to see how the the influence of Christian religion was successful in marginalizing astrology for a pretty long time period yes yeah, so. uh, I'm very, oh please I yeah, and, and I was I was thinking as you were saying yes it, 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 it does explain and I think it never was properly addressed that gap that we have until the 12th century, when you do have the, 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 the incoming uh, Arabic influences, which are then going to shape completely the way that astrology, the Latin astrology, is a practice. Um, and we do not have, uh, at least not many that I know of, direct links between the, the old Hellenistic practice and, uh, let's say, a European century. Christian yeah. practice. Uh, Translated 12th century, century yeah. practice, yes. Yeah. But I'm, I'm curious about something. Um, thinking of astrology not only as a practice but also as a way of describing the universe these authors during these 600 years they still had to have the the so-called ptolemaic uh, universe with the spheres and everything so in a way they they had they could criticize astrology and they did of course and they somehow kind of put it to sleep in a way but they still had this universe like with the sun in the center and all the sphere, sorry, with the earth in the center, talking like a 21st century person, and uh, with all the spheres and everything. So that they had no other alternative. Mm-hmm. Even the Bible would be, they, they would resort to the Bible, of course, uh, but even the Bible describes the world in a way that is not completely against. You know what I mean, I, I think. I, I agree entirely, and I think it's important to point out, as as 
As game-changing as the translations from Arabic were in the 12th century, they did not create a cosmological paradigm change. Yes. The basic cosmological assumptions that Latin Christians made about the world they live in are very similar after 1100 to what they were before 1100. Yeah. And that's, of course, one reason why it was so easy for astrological ideas to, to sort of re, reinsert themselves in, into Western thought and, and, to, and to grow very quickly because there was a congenial connection between thinking astrologically and thinking cosmologically, uh, to put it slightly vaguely. And of course, you know, there, there are certain elements of thinking about celestial influence, which you find in early medieval texts, or rather the kind of ancient texts that were read during the early Middle Ages. You know, Pliny has a few bits on weather prognostications. Mm -hmm. It's not like uh, the idea of making sort of predictions based on celestial configurations was completely alien to mm -hmm. the Latin Christian heritage, but there was just very little material to, to work to work from compared to what's available after 1100. Yes, yeah. specifically in terms of actual practice. I think that that's what you mean. Exactly. I mean, the ability to to cast horoscopes. We used to think it was completely gone, but as David Schuster has pointed out quite recently, we have some, some small remnants of evidence that suggest that people could actually cast horoscopes on a very rudimentary basis. So one has to be careful in generalizing. But overall, when it comes to this rich body of rules, principles, and also mathematical techniques that we usually think of when we, when we think of astrology, it was almost completely gone before 1100. Yes, and it, it is also interesting to notice that um, uh, between Hellenistic astrology, what we now call Hellenistic astrology, and the translations, the 12th century translations that are from Arabic origin, there was this 600 years, as you said, gap. And uh, the Arabs were like working on the theory of astrology and they were like developing it uh, mathematically and even symbolically. They, they were developing. So there, there was a difference between the Hellenistic practice, what we now call Hellenistic, and the translations themselves. So they were different. They were like filtered through the Arabic culture. And through 600 years of development, development. Mm -hmm. so that is that is actually very interesting because it's kind of two separate. They are obviously connected, but at the same time they are so different in a way that uh, when we get to the uh, 12th century and the translations, we get another thing. It's not, it's no no longer the uh, the original. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. And uh, so what I'm interested in is, is the fact that as influential as astrology becomes, and of course, you know, it grows, grows by leaps and bounds, like I said, by the 15th century, really get a sense that this is starting to really impact culture on, on a profound level and also popular culture, not just elite culture. But as this development unfolds, uh, you have critical voices and, and they don't just keep regurgitating the arguments that we already know from antiquity. They actually add some perspectives and nuances to this anti-astrological discourse, and that, that's where sort of my research kicks in, where I'm, I'm, I'm starting to, to sort of become interested, to sort of trace uh, what's new and original about late medieval anti-astrological thought vis-a-vis -vis reverses what, what, what has been said many times before. Yeah. Can you give us an example? Because I'm really curious. I, I know of this, uh, like, um, in temporal critiques about astrology, and then if there is something that is completely new and uh, comes up in the 15th century, so to say, um, was it a kind of a religious objection or any other kind of scientific? Uh, what yeah. is 
So in the religious objections, they remain essentially the same because they're all grounded in the in the writings of the church fathers, and of course you have the the relevant paragraphs in the canon law, which you know can be read as completely outlawing any form of astrology. But of course, people you know found ways of of interpreting these uh, to 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 uh, you know make some allowance for astrology. But uh, what happens from the 13th late late 13th century onwards in a university context? is that based on their reading of Aristotle, based on their understanding of natural philosophy, uh, some thinkers start to critically interrogate the very idea of astrology, the underlying assumptions about the cosmos, the underlying sort of causal, mm-hmm. uh, the underlying causal framework, and they just look at specific astrological doctrines and, and, and test them for their internal co- cohesion, their, 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 their sort of logical cohesion, and they, 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 they interrogate astrology from a philosophical rather than a theological point of view. And I think that's new. I mean, of course, there are sort of stock arguments that go back to the ancient skeptics about the practical impossibility of astrology or the argument from common destinies, like the twin argument, right, where two people are born at the same time, but they have different destinies. I mean, these arguments are repeated anyway, but they actually apply natural philosophy to astrology in, in new ways based on the kind of intellectual pursuits that are common at universities in the late 13th and 14th century when these new arguments come in and, and really go into directions that are quite familiar to us. Some of the arguments that are voiced for the first time in this late medieval university context sound very much like the arguments that modern skeptics use when they when they reject astrology as unfounded or illogical or whatever. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yes, I, I, my research has been centered a lot in practice of Mainly 16th century, late, uh, well, not 16th, sorry, the 17th century, late 16th, in which you, we already are feeling and you already can see in doctrine the changes caused by this kind of critique and, and revision of the astrological system. Uh, and uh, I think that, that to, to, to really um, have a good in depth research on, on, this, on these points, I think it's quite interesting so we can understand the changes that we see when you study the doctrine of astrology in, um, let's say, early modern period, the end of the early modern period and in medieval period. The bases are the same always throughout time, but the, the, the how shall I say, the, the environment, the way that things are interpreted, the, the, um, the spirit uh, of the interpretation often it's quite different. And I, I, I believe that a lot has to do with this critique. So the way that they think astrology and that they use it in interpretation becomes different uh, to, with all the crossings of these, uh, these re- new reflections on astrology. So I think that's, that's quite an important... Uh, and were these criticisms yeah. uh, official? I mean, did they, they wrote uh, books, manifests? How do, how do we find them? Were they really serious or just voices? So some of the, the sources that I've studied uh, in the context of, of this, this project are sources that really give us a sense of the, the uh, kind of forum that that sort of late medieval authors used to debate astrology. So, for instance, there's evidence that they wrote letters back and forth, right, uh, or circulated letters in which points were debated between supporters and defenders of, of, of the astrological system and, and hardened skeptics. Uh, there's evidence that these questions were uh, brought up in, in university disputations, in quadri in, in, in and, and, and other forms of disputations. And then, of course, there are lots of sentences, commentaries, and other types of typical university texts in which these 
these um, points are brought up sometimes very randomly, right? One text that I'm working on starts out as a chronological study uh, of the dates of the life of Jesus and other events in, in world history. And then the author just veers off and goes on this long tangent where he spends half his treatise trying to completely undermine, refute and reject the very idea of astrology. Uh, so you have a very diverse range of different sources, but the valuable sort of take-home point is that they show us people actually debated these questions in a public forum, in a university context, and you have a whole spectrum of opinions. You have those who just adhere to the system of astrology, or for most of it because they trust the authority of Ptolemy or Abu Masha and so on. You have others who accept parts of astrology, or maybe uh, sort of at least sort of the underlying philosophical assumptions without necessarily paying too much uh, putting too much stock uh, in, in individual astrological rules. And then there are those who think it's all complete nonsense, right? You have this, this spectrum of different opinions. And um, especially the hardened skeptics are interesting to me because some of their arguments are sound, uh, dare I say, modern, at least they sound familiar. And, uh, and, and generally speaking, what this debate shows you is that because we sometimes write about the history of astrology in this period as if astrology and the Aristotelian um, natural philosophical worldview just go together and, and, and create and are in this perfect union. But actually, there are certain cracks and, and, and there, there are certain points of friction. It's not so obvious that an Aristotle, uh, that his way of, of explaining how the cosmos works uh, supports uh, the system of astrology. You have to make a lot of assumptions and also uh, ignore some blind spots to make this work. And the, of course, the critics are right on that case and, and are point this out quite mercilessly. Absolutely. I think actually that uh, Aristotle's work were somehow appropriated to support. And for a long time, they were the solid support of astrology, but actually it's not direct. Yeah. I, I was thinking of something. It, it would be uh, a topic in itself the criticism of astrology and the refutation and the way these arguments go back and forth, yeah. it would be the, um, a topic in yeah. itself, yeah. like the story of the discussions of astrology. Yeah. That would be that would be really yeah, really interesting. Because uh, I'm thinking I'm thinking something that uh, I found a lot of lack of, which you for a bit later than the period that you were mentioning. For example, Pico de la Miranda's oh, yeah. great attack on astrology, which causes a big. <laughs> <laughs> whirlpool turmoil. of the turmoil <laughs> of the discussion and we have a lot of historical content based on his attack and his arguments yeah. but very very little on the large defenses that were made almost immediately after the publication against the against Saul and others, yeah, and, others yes. which and that would be dedicate a lot to, of page and that's also yeah. another topic that would be interesting to see how is the how it how the these critics come against the, the people who defend them. What's the argumentation going back and forth? So, especially yeah. if we could organize the the criticism in a kind of typify, like religious, scientific, or other, <laughs> and then see how they how it was responded by the mm -hmm. defendant. That would be really interesting. That would go for the history of ideas or something. Yes, that would uh, be uh, really uh, interesting. That would be. A well, that's a, maybe a major could, work. Maybe, <laughs> maybe your next book. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, uh, one text I'm, I'm working on right now, uh, which hopefully will, will be out in a year's time as, as, a, as an article-length study and, and edition, is a defense of one specific branch of astrology, which is interrogations. And as you know, interrogations is one of the more controversial branches of astrology. Uh, even people who, you know, 
except, for instance, the possibility of making predictions about the life path of an individual from reading the birth horoscope might scoff at interrogations. Uh, and of course, especially once you go to the come to the early modern period, interrogations almost fall by the wayside, yeah, almost yeah. rejected as one of the more implausible parts of astrology. And of course, these kinds of worries were already present in the late Middle Ages. And, and what I found is a really nice uh, defense of interrogations, where, where the author reports all the criticisms that are made against the idea, and then uses you know bits and pieces already present in the Islamic uh, tradition to prop up the plausibility that you can actually make these kinds of judgments. Uh, I mean, to, 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 to explain this very briefly, uh, in an interrogation, you cast a horoscope for the moment when a question is asked in order to find the answer to the question. And there are all sorts of implausibilities involving that. So, for instance, it's a very obvious one. Uh, the moment of asking the question is preceded by the moment when the, when the, the questioner, the person asking the question, makes a decision that they're interested in hearing the answer to the question. And of course, there's lots of arbitrariness involved here. Uh, the moment when the thought occurs to this person seems more or less random. And then they have to go to the astrologer to consult the astrologer. And in between, there are all sorts of contingencies, right? They might walk past a hot dog stand and decide to have snacks <laughs> and arrive 50 minutes late uh, at the astrologer. And of course, 50 minutes, that is, is a long time period in astrology because yeah. on average the, the ascendant changes every four minutes. So all of a sudden the astrologer... The <laughs> Sorry? The degree of the ascendant changes about three, four minutes. Yeah, four minutes on average. Uh, and, and again, the question is, uh, aren't the answers that an interrogation will yield completely arbitrary? Mm -hmm. And so the author that I'm talking about, that I'm studying, he uses some of the already existing ideas that he finds in the sources to argue, no, if it's a proper interrogation, nothing is arbitrary because there are correspondence relations between the moment of the, the, the moment at which you conceive of the idea of asking the question is triggered by a constellation, which is in a correspondence relation with your birth uh, constellation. And the moment when you ask the question will again be in a correspondence relation. And so that it's all sort of predetermined. You can yeah. still use your free will to, to override these celestial effects. But, it, but there's a sense in which the fact that you in the 30th year of your life will go to an astrologer and ask him a question at this precise moment in time is already inscribed in your nativity mm. horoscope. Mm. So it does establish so, a parallel yeah. between the two. So yeah. It's a very good argument. <laughs> <laughs> It's a very good argument. Actually, yeah. the, there were there were rules to, to confirm if the uh, horary uh, horoscope was correct or valid or not. Then mm -hmm. there was a set of rules to, to that, confirm uh, that traditionally. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting because I I found um, well in Christian as we were saying in Christian context horary uh, or interrogations simply yeah. vanishes yeah. Uh, from the manuals. Although I do in my manuscripts and these are notes of people they do refer to what they call licit questions. Unfortunately, they don't give examples, which is sad, but uh, they do mention some licit questions. So I do think that was a, there was an underground of activity. Try, <laughs> activity and trying to revive. Of course, they would practice it underground. That would be obvious, but there is some kind of activity of doing some kind of accept, acceptable uh, interrogation system, which would be in... In, in accordance to doctrine, um, but unfortunately, I haven't seen the, an example where someone discusses that properly and explains exactly what they uh, and, intend and to as illicit uh, uh, interrogation. Yeah. yeah, even for the late medieval period, uh, 
the uh, amount of material we have to document the actual practice of interrogations mm -hmm. is not great, but it's there. We do know for a fact that people use these techniques and that, as, that people actually went to astrologers who asked them uh, relevant questions about, you know, they, they lost an object and precious object. Mm -hmm. A horse. Where's my horse? <laughs> right, exactly. Or, or, or yeah. one of my best friends has disappeared. What happened to him? And then yeah. it turns out he was murdered. There's an actual example of this sort mm -hmm. in, in, a, in, a very, uh, in, in a very influential teaching text of the mm -hmm. 14th century. So we do know that, that interrogations were a thing, and of course the text that I just mentioned shows us that there were people invested in defending this technique against its, its, its critics. So you can, you can see how astrology you know, undergoes considerable changes between the, the late medieval period and, and the early modern period, but it becomes a bit tamer, where certain, certain less savory parts of it are pruned away because, because partly of the growing influence of the Catholic Church on, on the practice of astrology. And also, uh, when it comes to horary, um, the criticism was not only about uh, the feasibility of the question, if it is possible to ask questions. I suppose it is also, I suspect, it is also about, is it moral to ask certain questions? And mm -hmm. I say this because I read in Bonatti, uh, which is quite a, quite a earlier, sort of a bit earlier, but Bonatti has this um, kind of, when it comes to questions about women, and specifically about the virginity of women. Mm -hmm. And I suppose it was a very popular question. It pops up in every It pops way. up, yes. And it could ruin the lives of many good people, I suppose. A wrong question. Uh, and he says something like, um, beware not to, not to say too much or um, uh, see if the person that is asking is um, doing it with the intention of uh, you know, tarnish the reputation of the woman and therefore not marry the woman. Or mm -hmm. basically it says beware because the woman could have the, the life ruined by this question. So is, there is also kind of an ethical um, concern about certain, mm -hmm. certain um, uh, interrogations, mm -hmm. the nature of certain interrogations. So it, it was probably also uh, something that they would have to take into account not only the uh, possibility of being able to ask questions, but also the, the consequences of mm -hmm. certain questions. Absolutely, and the reputation of, of astrologers or their profession dependent, dependent on these kinds of safeguards, mm -hmm. because this was a profession that was probably not very reputable throughout this period. And, and, and uh, the anti-astrological authors of the period that I'm interested in time and again make snide remarks about astrologers as being sort of a cast of, of of suspect people who have low morals and, and, and are only interested in material gain. So these are common attacks that are, that are leveled against astrologers as a professional group. So I, it's perfectly plausible why Guido Bonatti would, would to make sure to, yes. to pass himself off as, as a life consultant who has only the best interest of, of, of his clients in, in, yes. in mind. But that kind of criticism that you just said, uh, you find that also within the within the practitioners, mm -hmm. and I mean, since at least since Ptolemy, Ptolemy himself tries to to distance himself from uh, the so good practitioners and, uh, and you know the lower the lower lives, yeah. and uh, you find this throughout all authors, all the classical authors, and they, they distance themselves. Like I am, I do this, or I do this mathematically, I do this ethically, I do this scientifically, and no, I'm not like those other people, you know. And you find this uh, within the within the profession of astrologers themselves. That's very interesting also. Yes, so yeah, there's very good evidence for precisely this line of argument in the medieval period and, and, and 
obviously, I mean, that's maybe it goes without saying, this is also perfectly a serviceable defense if a prediction goes wrong. You can always say, well, this astrologer would just fail completely at predicting yeah. something is, is an incompetent, is a smatterer, <laughs> and, and you shouldn't listen to him. But that doesn't, you know, that doesn't tarnish astrology as a discipline, obviously. It is so, yeah. Call yeah. move to make. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's quite... So I, I think this would be like um, uh, a book in itself. <laughs> I, I'm trying to tease you to write a <laughs> book. Yeah. Well, maybe at some point. I mean, what I'm trying to do right now is to get some of those texts out there, some of those mm -hmm. previously unknown or at least unpublished texts, uh, make them available to researchers and, and mm -hmm. to, to produce more limited studies connected mm -hmm. to these texts. And maybe at some stage you can synthesize the material. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, the main, the main sort of contribution that I seek to make is to fill in a couple of blanks because it's not like anti-astrological thought plays no role in our current historiography. There's mm -hmm. some e episodes and individuals who are well-known, combinations of 1277 uh, come up time and again in the literature. Nicolo Rem is usually brought up because he's an influential mid-14th century critic of astrology. And then, of course, the big one, and you've mentioned it already, Luis, is Giovanni Pico de Mirandola, who really sends ripples throughout the 16th century with this criticism. But, you know, a lot of the stuff that, for instance, Pico de la Mirandola uh, uh, sort of thinks of, the kind of arguments he makes, they are already there, at least in Nietzsche, in 14th century literature, uh, yeah. in texts that, that are, you know, almost completely unknown. And, and so the idea is to have a slightly more cohesive narrative of how this anti-astrological countercurrent developed over those centuries. Yes, yes. Yes, because I think we do have... Um, Let's say well, Pico de la Mirandola is most known in historiography. Just lay out historiography, Nicolo Herrn, as you said, it's also usually one of the sources that go to source to explain. Well, this comes from from much before Pico. Um, Pico does creates these ripples. You do then have the, the actual prohibitions of the church, which until then they were just admonishments, and they weren't. There wasn't a, little, a law or, or a, a mechanism in, in place to 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 do any any regulation and that has I think a profound effect on, on the practice but still we can clearly see that that comes from much earlier and but we don't have a picture so it will be very interesting to finally have more pieces of this huge puzzle and, and to have a connection because it's, it sometimes it appears that we do have that those very early critiques uh, still in the Hellenistic period in in the Greek context then Religious. It has uh, it, it, a religious critic, then it disappears, and we have all the, that central middle age without a lot, we don't see or we don't know of the discussion, and then suddenly it pops up again in a completely different context and it emerges almost completely. And there's, we there's, don't all, the there's all the dots missing in the interim. Exactly, yeah. yes. That's yes. right, yes. And I mean, what I find interesting about this topic, uh, just, just to add this uh, very briefly, is that it defies your expectations a little bit, because if you sort of go by what's already well known, mm -hmm. you think that certain criticisms are much more prominent than they actually are. So, for instance, the moral objection to astrology, that it renders people fatalistic and, and essentially negates their free will. We always think of this as sort of the major reasons why Christians objected to astrology. But of course, that argument was almost completely defanged by the way 13th century authors came up with the theory of inclination and how they always pointed out that you can completely reconcile astrology or almost completely reconcile it with, with, with the doctrine of free will. So that's not really the issue. What's, what's at stake here is more the question, does astrology actually work? Does it make sense? Does it comport with the way 
the world mm -hmm. works in a causal framework. And, and mm -hmm. the fact that these questions are asked in such an incisive way, to a certain extent, defies what we sort of, uh, assume about the Middle Ages as a kind of knee-jerk assumption. Yeah. Yes. yeah, exactly, exactly. The discussions are much more complicated. It's, as I usually say, it's, when we look at it closely, it's always much more complicated and intricate than we would expect. Uh, so, yeah, yes. I think that will be a wonderful contribution. So we'll be waiting for your, for your papers uh, coming in uh, as, you, as you write them and, and then... Maybe in the future. Yeah, maybe in the future. Yeah, inshallah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, another thing that I would like to ask you now, perhaps shifting a little bit of subject, um, how do you, you did a lot of chronological studies, and perhaps you already answered a little bit of this. How do you, um, in your perspective, um, how much does astrology and or, or astro astrological predictions um, fit in or, or, or appear together with this chrono huge chronology uh, work that has been done throughout Middle Ages? So, um, th th there are a few examples. Mm -hmm. I mean, the most obvious connection, I guess, is between the theory of great conjunctions and, and the way some authors decide to periodize history. They realize, you know, you can actually use uh, the big planetary conjunctions and their supposed effects on major events in world history to chronicle world history along astrological lines. Uh, and that is an idea that pops up here and there, especially from the 14th century onwards. A very famous example is, of course, Pierre Dailly. And there's a wonderful book by Laura Smoller on Pierre Dailly, which was sort of my introduction to the history of astrology back in the day. Uh, and now and again, you find authors who, for instance, use astrological assumptions to guess at the age of the world or maybe the date of the flood, but more commonly the date of creation. But of course, these are not very fine-grained techniques because there's too many uh, variables and contingencies. It's, it's not the most precise way of, 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 of dating history, but it's, it's, some, it's, it's an idea that pops up here and there. And if you really study the history of chronology, you will come across such examples. Mm -hmm. Yes, because I think, for example, horoscopes of Christ and, and that kind yeah. of discussion that pops up here that and there. That is another example, yeah, indeed. And I mean, another one is, of course, this idea that maybe the, um, the, uh, the ebb and tide of major world religions coincides with particular planetary cycles or the influence of planets, which is sort of introduced into the Latin discourse by Roger Bacon and again pops up time and again. Um, until maybe the 16th, 17th century. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the Arabs have a lot of literature on, on this timing of, of, of religions and, and, yeah. and processes that then sips in a little bit into the Latin. But again, the church is not very keen on being uh, regulated by planetary conjunctions, which causes a problem. Not very yeah. happy about it. But mm -hmm. even the, the text that I, I studied in on my PhD, it's a late 15th century text an author, and he has this uh, study on the conjunction, on the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction of um, 1425 in Scorpio. Yeah. And he says that uh, there will be a new prophet, mm -hmm. and uh, still this. And uh, he says this with all the with all the careful uh, way, the, in the most careful way he can. He's mm -hmm. like, I'm Catholic, I am completely respect the church, but I think that there will be a new prophet. So this was like um, a very, yeah, yeah continuous yeah. Presence, kind of, yeah. yes, continuous kind. And also he, he, he predicts quite wrongly that the Saracens, the Muslims, will be defeated by them. So it, 
It's almost there, I think. I think <laughs> this was say, late 15th yeah. century. I think so. they say that in almost all of the Yeah, they always then. predict that the Muslims will be the Saracens, as they call them. They will be defeated. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Eventually. <laughs> it's one of those wishful thinking <laughs> things. Okay, about, yeah. yeah. Okay, so. Well, um, we could stay. <laughs> well, we could say we'll chat a little bit more uh, about other, much other things, but uh, I want to thank you very much uh, for for coming to the to the podcast. I think uh, we'll it be was a very interesting discussion. Yes, uh, and we'll be looking forward uh, for your results in this research and for these documents, which I think will be wonderful sources. So we can really ground our history in in more more facts and more more information and, and connect more dots yeah, and more, connect dots more dots to connect so we can understand exactly for 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 the astro and for the type of research that we're doing which has a lot to do with this internalistic analysis of the of the of the astrology um it's important to understand uh this kind of discussion because this this type of discussion religious philosophical otherwise will affect a lot of how things are practiced, because if a technique or certain approach or certain concept is not fully um, so grounded uh, philosophically, it will certainly be discarded or it will be limited in its uses. So it's very important to understand exactly what are they talking about, how are they approaching these discussions, to understand exactly what then how the tools of the trade are being affected and, and modeled by this discussion. So. Again, we will thank you. Thank you, and we'll be looking forward for, for your research. Perfect. Thanks for having me. What pleasure.